Yeah, but you guys have like a really good podcast and banter. Yeah. Well, we can do that here. We well, can, we're doing it now. We have the answer. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then cue the intro music. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, welcome back uh, to the Blood, Sweat, and Silver podcast. My name is Fernando Rivera, author of The After Living, the book that we are talking about in this entire podcast. And my co-host is... Matt Steele. And he is... Gay. And fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, I, and, oh, and I'm also, uh, as you heard, if you listen to the intro video, um, uh, creator myself and Fernando Rivera's a uh, very good friend. Yeah, it's probably one of the best. Don't tell the others. Oh, I don't know. So Some depends on the day. That's true. So we're going to cut right to the chase. Uh, so this episode will cover um, the entire process from the inception of an idea to having your book on Amazon to sell. And that's going to be a lot of stuff to cover. That's so a lot to cover. That's a lot to cover. Yeah, especially because that's something that not a lot of people know about. No, like, I didn't know about it either until I decided to freaking do it. I know, especially I'm looking at the, at the the outline that you gave us, and I'm just like, what's an ISBN? What the oh. hell is that? I remember, I do remember uh, you talking about that yes. a couple years ago. Yes. And me being like, I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm going to order French fries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... Oh, this is where I interview you. Yes, you interview me. Fernando. Yes. Um, Okay, so Fernando, I watched you throughout this entire process because we've been friends since 2012. And you're obsessed with me. And I'm obsessed with you and I I stalk you and I like sometimes watch you through the window, your window. You started writing this book in like 20... Yeah, no, it took three years to write. Yeah, I I remember like really... I, I remember just the the days and weeks and months and years of you going to uh shout out to Aroma Cafe. <laughs> Aroma Cafe. <laughs> and, like I was like, Fernando, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm at Aroma. So I They know me very well there. Yes, exactly. And I remember just being like, what is he doing? Like what the hell is he working on? He's just like, I'm writing. I'm writing. I'm building I'm my writing. empire. Bu- like I'm I'm building this creative, massive, insane world. So I guess this is a good time for me to learn and, uh, and for you to learn as well, audience. Yeah. But specifically me, because I'm I'm really curious, especially after rereading the book again and being like damn there's a lot going on like how did the hell did he come up with all this um i have no friends no friends but you but me yes um so fernando rivera how the hell did you come up with this insane idea um it came out of a lot of okay the drive to do it came out of being rejected as an actor but the actual idea for I've always loved vampires. I mean, everything we do in life is because we're rejected. <laughs> everything in LA we do is because we're rejected as actors and as people and, and as people. Yeah, that's you true. know. But um, so so okay, so it, the drive started was um, you, you remember back in the day when casting director workshops were all the rage, and oh, yeah. you know we had to you know pay to sit and have mock auditions um, with casting directors, which I actually found very helpful. They helped me get a lot of jobs uh, in terms of of just being able to make the introduction and then slowly follow up and build a relationship with casting directors. But there was uh, a specific TV show that I will not mention that I wanted to be on so badly. Mm -hmm. Like I did six casting director workshops with the same casting directors, mind you. And I mean, you know, you know how much they cost. Like the cheapest ones were like 40 bucks a a pop. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. And when you're like, you know, you're working at a restaurant all the time, it's not, it's not really where you want, you know, three of your hours of work to go to like, yeah. 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 <laughs> so anyways, um, 
So I tried so hard to get an audition. I could never get a damn audition for this vampire TV show, despite the times that I performed. And I mean, I'm not a bad actor. So yeah, clearly I, I, had, I had a <laughs> shot, you know? Um, and so I thought, well, you know what? Like, that sucks. I'm going to have my own like vampire TV show and they're not invited. Yeah. And that was pretty much the drive to just think, okay, I have to do a movie yeah. based on vampires. Well, I mean, you've always been into vampire stuff. I remember the very first time I came to your apartment, like had all the Twilight books out and I was like, hey girl. Oh, I love the first movie was so good. I love that music. Yes, oh, I loved it. it. I love that indie music. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to write an awesome vampire script. I had to have the idea, of course, first. And the After Living all started off as a paragraph. I wrote a paragraph. I that, remember reading that paragraph. <laughs> that was a solid paragraph. <laughs> and that paragraph was pretty much just like, just literally, like I realized now it described the, the last scene of the book. And... Um, you know, so that jump off point, I really wanted to do something that had to do with religion because a lot of things that I do uh, create have to do with religion. You know, that, that that being said, I also didn't want it to be like hokey. Like I, I didn't want it to be like all positive and sunshine and roses because usually like, you know, a lot of religious work out there is great. But like the whole purpose of it is to have that beautiful silver lining that, um, you know, people just the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah. And I wanted it to be dark and gritty. And so I thought, well. You know, as a Catholic, being raised Catholic, you always think about hell, going to hell. Mm -hmm. Like, you do this wrong, you're going to hell. Yeah. So, you know, I thought in a lot of the vampire stuff that exists out there, everything hinges on the idea of, you know, of like a love interest. Like, oh, my love interest is a vampire or mm -hmm. like having to do with being with somebody. And it's sort of like an inner like battle with yourself. It's like, oh, I love them so much and I have these positive thoughts. Oh, but they're an evil vampire. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I thought in my head, well, that would not be, you know, Mr. Perpetually Single. I'm like, that would not really come into play being a vampire. I would think that like the worst thing about being a vampire would be thinking, am I going to hell if I do this? Oh, shit. Yeah. That's me being Catholic, right? Yeah. So I thought, okay, there has to be a way for it to be good and right. So and not preachy, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's something I have to say about this book. It's it's not like there are so many. There's so many different directions, and there's so much gray area. And you're just like, I don't know what. And there really is no right or wrong. Oh, thank God you said that. Yeah, that that's been one of the compliments that I get on the book. Is that you know I see it as a compliment. Is that they say I didn't know what route the character should take until the character took it which oh, is great oh yeah and i mean we'll discuss it more and yeah. i guess the religious no spoilers. Thing. This yeah. Is no spoilers yeah so then um yeah so then i thought okay well then if i were going to hell i wouldn't want to be a vampire but then i thought wait but what if like being a vampire me meant that i went to heaven like i could still go to heaven well mm -hmm. the only way that'd be possible is if jesus was the fucking vampire uh -huh. because if he's not a vampire then it's like oh no i'm going against him so that's where the idea came from and there is a movie um uh, Dracula 2000, mm -hmm. and that's based on the idea that Judas was the first vampire. Um, now, Judas is a very important figure in the afterliving. Yes. That will be revealed later. So I just took it one step further and thought, like, the most, you know, sacred thing would be the most sacrilegious thing to, you know, thrust vampirism upon. So um, that's where the idea came from. And so from there, I started writing or plotting a movie. Now, I've met so many screenwriters who are just, like, completely against the whole Blake Snyder's save the cat method. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've read the book before, but I've read I like not, no. all, you know, like there's, it has like four different books in that whole series where it literally tells you how to plot out a movie beat by beat. So you start off with like the main 15 beats and then you fill in the, you know, fill in the, the, the scenes in between. And I'm all about structured creativity. Mm -hmm. like I love to be creative, 
but I need like that type A OCD part of me has to be structured in some form. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So then I just thought, okay, well, let me do that. So I, I plotted out the book, you know, beat by beat. And then once that was done, I started writing, you know, the, the, the script and I got to probably about page 120 mm-hmm. and I wasn't even halfway through with mm-hmm. writing the, the, the script. So I thought, well, crap, like there's no way that I can do this. And then of course, you know, I never thought that I would ever write a book. Um, and the last thing that I said before I started writing a book was I will never write a book. Uh-huh. And eventually, you know, scene one became chapter one. Mm-hmm. And I just had to trans. That's what also why the book reads in first person present tense, because in screenwriting, it's all, you know, present tense. Um, and so that's kind of how it, you know, translated. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why there are almost 40 chapters in the book, because for Blake Snyder's Save the Cat, there are 40 scenes or 40 note cards that oh. the movie makes. Yeah. So that's kind of and a lot of people who read it say, oh, well, like it flows kind of like I see it like a movie. Oh, yeah. A really, really, really long, long, long (laughs) movie. (laughs) And I'm like, great. It was written like a movie. So job done. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very much like I I always uh, I'm always like, oh, this is so good. Like whenever I listen to it or read it over again, I'm always like, oh, this should be a movie. This should be. And then then I was like, oh, this is a lot for one movie. This should be a A series. This should be a mini. It's a series. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, yeah, I guess I just started with an idea that I could not keep to myself. And then I, I can't stress the importance. I mean, I'm very big into like you know, trademarking and copywriting and things like that. Once I had it done, you know, a good draft that I liked, I registered it. So you register it with the Library of Congress. Yeah. Um, it doesn't cost, you know, a lot of money. Um, it's just one chuck up front. And it kind of buys you a lot of peace of mind to know that your stuff is protected, you know, when you start passing it around and when you start getting people's advice. Because, of course, after that, you know, you have your first draft done, then you need other people who are not you to read it. And so that's when the beta readers come into play. Yeah. And so beta readers are pretty much just... Oh, so the, we are, we are, that's actually a technical term, beta reader. Yeah, a beta reader. Yeah. Okay, I was it's, about to, because I'm looking at this outline, and I'm just like, beta readers? Who are the alpha readers? <laughs> like, like, we're like the, the, the sort of, like, lame readers. Who no, are. and so it's just it's just people that, that you know, you get that you... you you trust will tell you if something is good or, or not. You know, uh, parents can be great beta readers, but will they? Oh, parents will always tell you that you're it's flawless and incredible. Exactly. So you have to have friends like Matt Steele and friends like uh, <clears throat> Michael Barber. Um, like, this is trash. Yeah, and Matthew Bridges, who will tell you like, whether something is trash or whether it's good. Mm, potential, but just like redo the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I got about 10 people to be beta readers and I gave them each copies of my book. And that's why it's important to like, you know, have your library of Congress, have your copyright, just to know, give yourself the peace of mind, even though you trust the people, give yourself the peace of mind that your idea is going to stay protected. That was all done. And based on their, um, I guess, critiques and and the common uh, criticisms that I got, I shaped the book again, addressing the critiques. And then afterwards, of course, it's like, okay, great. Like I have something that I can't improve anymore on my own Mm -hmm. without looking to more professional help, Mm -hmm. which of course brings me to an editor. That's, you know, the next step. And finding an editor is not, one, it's not cheap. And two, it's definitely not something that you can just do in one day. Oh, God, no. Especially, yeah. And, and yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, all the, you know, the writing, like the, the literary world exists in New York. At least that's what, you know, we're told. It's on the yeah. East Coast. It's not really in Los Angeles. I mean, I did a simple search on Google for, like, book editing, mm-hmm. whatever. And I got a couple of websites, but the website that I liked the most, that had the most editors to choose from, uh, it was um, book-editing.com. Um, and again, that's book-editing.com. 
com, and you can go on there and you can find like you know the the editors that have specialized in you know supernatural fiction or horror or you know whatever genre and you, it's this giant catalog of really great people that you can you know choose from mm-hmm. and so i of course picked a few and you pretty much have to put up your book as like a like like a bid to them because yeah. they're not going to want to pick up and edit anything you know yeah. like they're going to want to edit something that interests them as well and so just because they may focus on supernatural you know books doesn't mean they want to read about a vampire book yeah especially they, a vampire want... jesus book yeah. you know so you have to find somebody that meshes well with you there are a lot of editors out there who um will not want to give you a sample edit which is a huge red flag mm. because it's like they'll say oh this is my price i don't do sample edits it's like great I don't know if you're worth that price, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, yeah. Was, and that was another thing is, like, you're in the driver's seat. Like, this is your money that is going to go towards perfecting your baby. And mind you, I had been working on this book for three years at that point. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I know this seems like like an abbreviated version of all that I went through, but it took three years to get to the point where I was looking for a professional editor. Oh, yes. So it's it's near and dear to your heart, and you're just not just going to put it in anybody's hands. No, yes. hell no. Uh, so give me like an ex- a sample edit. Would they just like sort of take a, they would take your sort of sample that you've provided them, which is how long, like how many? Um, some people did the first three chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people did uh, the first like they would say like chapter one, chapter three, and chapter ten because they just kind of want to see like how the story evolves or okay. how your how much style did evolves. you initially provide them like as your sample of the book? Oh, I did the first three chapters for the majority of them. Is that the first three chapters or the first twenty pages? Okay, like that was more or less the and ballpark. So, of what and it so was. the editors that were sort of I guess in contention took a a couple pages or like a yes. full chapter and said, "Hey, this is what I can do with this chapter. This is what I can do with this yeah." So they so pages. you pretty much they um. You, you send it to them in a Microsoft Word document and they send it back to you. And I think it's like a word word track or something. It's mm-hmm. like where they can make edits or, or corrections and mm-hmm. you can see the corrections they make. And stuff like that. Yeah. And it's really great because some editors like they'll automatically be like, and where is this happening? What time of day? And, and just these like little things that really make a difference mm-hmm. in telling the story. That you see in your head. Yeah. You automatically see in your head, but you're just like, oh, the person reading doesn't. Has no idea has no where, idea. where this is happening. Exactly. Yeah. So that was one of the, honestly, um, I shied away from any editor that told me it was good because i was like mm-hmm. i'm not gonna pay you money to blow smoke i, I can pay my dad money yeah and you it's know, like a bitch i know it's good <laughs> yeah and like, it's like, it's like, duh. I, I'm like duh like i wrote it it's great yeah it's exactly classic but it's like i totally did not want to go with somebody who said that it was great because it was like no i don't trust your judgment because i know it's not great and there were some some also some editors that just rejected they're like no nah, i don't want to work with this material yeah and it's like okay great fine thank you sure you know, no hard feelings. Yeah, and also you you don't want an editor to um, just be like, oh, it's great, because you want an editor who can like give you ideas that can expand into yeah something something better. Like and, maybe, you know. And that being said, there are different levels of editing that you can pay for. So like a comprehensive edit is is the most expensive one because they're literally dealing with character development and mm-hmm. and plot development and really shaping the story to be in a place to where you can take it to the next editor, which is a copy editor, which we'll mm-hmm. get to later. Um, but yeah, so they pretty much shape the story to make sure it's just a solid, you know, sequence of events and the characters are not bullshitting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so do they, are they saying like a comprehensive edit, how far do they go in terms of, what they suggest that you change. They can they can do anything from yeah. say like, hey, the first three chapters, you don't need them. 
Mm-hmm. And which is actually a piece of advice that I once re- I don't know where I read it, but that usually the first three chapters of your first draft of a book are not needed at all. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, that's bullshit. My first my first chapter is like a werewolf chase, and it's exciting. I it's remember fun. that werewolf chase as a beta reader myself. Uh, yeah. I remember that werewolf chase, and it is not there. Like yeah. it, it, I completely got rid of it because it was again, it, it was in my head. It was the jump start to the movie. And so that, of course, didn't didn't play well, and yeah. you know it didn't serve the book. Also, before even before this, I had the fortune of meeting a friend of one of the top guys at uh, Little Brown and Company in London, right? And I thought, oh my god, this is great! Like, like I have this connection, and like he's gonna actually read my book. And mm-hmm. so I actually sent him the book before I went to an editor, mm-hmm. and he came back to me, and you know his like terms were it was hard to see the character development with such a labyrinthine plot and i was like oh my god my heart just sank it was it sucked but it was you know i was grateful that he told me that because Mm. flash forward to the book being done and out and people reading like they love the characters which i'm like that's awesome Uh, you know again i squandered my first you know chance to meet with a giant you know, publishing house, you know, executive, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you, you, you live and learn. Yeah. I took the chance that I had at that time. And it was time. good advice and it made the book better. Yeah. You know, so, and, and. So editors are important. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was also good because it's like, okay, you knew you had the plot. Now you could do like passes focusing on the characters. Yeah. And, and you get what you pay for with an editor. Like, mm. if you have an editor who quotes you a really low price, I would be really wary about that because they might not be doing as much as an editor who will charge you a higher amount. And mind you, also, editors have a right to charge you more if they have done more work. Yeah. It's just, it's experience. It's just like us as actors. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like we may do this, this you know, SAG ultra low budget movie this time, but when we've been working, we have several, you know, dozen credits under our belt. We're not doing it again. Yeah. I, and I want that trailer, darling. Yeah. I want you the want that honey wagon, girl. I want, I want the, the, <laughs> the cheese platter. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so, so the first editor that I picked, cause mind you, I had to vet several of them and I was really dead set on this one editor. Um, we'll call her Marge, Marge. I wanted to work with Marge so badly. She was the one who pointed out all these amazing things I didn't see in in the sample edit. And um, I was about to, you know, I signed the check. I had been corresponding with her back and forth. I signed the check. I was going to send it off. And then at the time, the guy that I was dating, he said, have you Googled her? And I was like, well, Mm -hmm. no, why would I Google her? And he's like, you should always Google people you're going to go into business with. And I was like, okay, fine. So I went on Google. Her Facebook page came out. I was like, oh, okay. So I clicked on Marge's Facebook page. Marge happened to be the head of some massive tea party organization in um, Dallas. Mm. Was this post-election or? This was, Wait, pre- this, this, this was pre-2016 election. Wait, it was 2016. It was definitely, I published yeah. in 2016, so this was pre-election. Yeah. So yeah, those years went by fast. They went right? by so fast. <laughs> I saw that she was, you know, on that, I guess, committee. And, you know, mind you, like, it's business and politics, whatever. Like, I was paying her for a service. Fine. But then I'm looking into, you know, her page, and I'm seeing that she is extreme, like, xenophobic, very anti-Islam, very anti-Muslim. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, mind you, I'm a Catholic. I was raised Catholic, you know, raised under the Christian faith. But that being said, the the book has a lot to do with Christianity, Mm -hmm. but it does not have anything to do with the hatred of other religions. Yeah. So there's a very blurred line between what I would accept and not accept, Mm -hmm. you know, to be 
exposed to the book. As wonderful as an editor as, you know, Marge was, I didn't want such sensitive subject matter to be touched by somebody that had such outward hatred for a specific religion. Yeah. And especially because nothing on her page was pro-Christian. Mm-hmm. It was just all anti-Islam. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like I can't, like I can't in good conscience do this. Cause, well, because she's going to edit it through that lens. And even, yes. even if she's a talented enough editor where she wouldn't edit through that lens, just having someone like her attached to your books yes. that deals with religious themes it's not a good look it, it's pe- not pe- people are going to interpret the optics are bad the optics are bad people are going to look at your book a certain way if they know the name of the person who is uh, yeah. the person who's attached yeah and 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 so that being said i tore up the check and i made some bs excuse saying that i couldn't you know follow through with with uh the contract and oh no i had a stroke yeah, yeah. and she's like okay great best of luck so i was like Whew, okay great so it's back to the drawing board um and my second choice was caroline i hadn't gotten the full sample edit from caroline because i had gotten one from marge already and i knew i wanted that so then mm-hmm. i sent i sent it to caroline and she sent me back her sample edit and it was great. I loved it. I loved dealing with her. Um, I was a little skeptical because she deals with a lot of romance novels and I was like, Oh, well this isn't a romance novel. Like this is like a, it's a, it's a vampire fiction novel. And she's just like a novel's a novel, sweetie. Character development is I'm a professional. Exactly. She's like character development is character development. I know what I'm doing. I was like, Okay, great. Okay, I did Caroline. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I went with Caroline and I could not be happier. She does like, she, I, I paid for the most expensive, you know, type of editing, which is pretty much she gives it three passes. Like she read my book three times, and it was, you know, very insightful, awesome. You know, I never had to wait on her. I mean, she was booked, mm. you know, but once she commits to a project, it was like this is the time that I've allotted for your project. Oh, that's great. Um, and so she was waiting on me at some time because it was taking me longer to get to edits because mm. just you know surviving in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um. So I, I went with Caroline and loved her. She did her passes and she, at the end of it, she really encouraged me. She's like, this is a really good piece of work. You shouldn't, you know, I know you're thinking about self-publishing, but you shouldn't jump to it. I really think you should look for a traditional publishing house to pick this up. Mm -hmm. And I thought, great, awesome. Uh, The next step was to go to a copy editor because Caroline doesn't do copy editing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so now you have your comprehensive edit, which they deal with all like the plot and the story and the character development. And then you have your copy editing. Copy editing is a totally different beast. It's all about like, you know, grammar and, mm-hmm. you know, spelling and capitalizations and, and the the grammar style to writing a book. Then I was passed along to, I think Caroline referred me to Amy. And so Amy became my copy editor mm-hmm. and, you know, loved her, worked with her, worked really well. You know, so then after I worked with Amy for copy editing and mind you, these are all like separate costs, like very oh, yeah. expensive costs. S- save your pennies, kids. Yes, yes. Yeah. If you want good editors, save your money. I thought, okay, so now I have a cop. I have a copy edited. It's it's sparkling and shiny. I'm gonna start looking for representation. I started writing this book because I was so sick and tired as an actor of waiting to get permission to audition and then permission to book a role and then to work and to get money. So. I found myself in the same boat of looking for permission and looking for validation from a manager and an agent to then take that over to, um, you know, a publishing house and to get their permission. And so it's just yeah. this like cycle of validation that I found myself back in. But, yeah. you know, and except this time you are a first time writer. Yeah. You and know, you're not like an, uh, 
an actor who has a lot of credits like you looking for a new agent being like, hey, I have this all this under my belt. You're like, I have nothing. Hey, I have nothing. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, I've got nothing. Um, so but I did. I submitted to agents and managers and I, I don't I can't remember how many I did. I did not get one bite. Now, mind you, a lot of publishing houses, you know, the majority of them do not accept work from unsolicited material, uh, yeah. unsolicited material from you know, authors. So I, I can't just send my stuff out to a big company. Like I have to go through an agent or manager, but no agent or manager would touch me. So I was like, well, shoot, like I I can't keep waiting. So then I I looked online. I found the very few publishing houses that accept, um, unsolicited material. And I sent my stuff in. Um, and I think I got maybe two or three responses total. And none of them said it was bad. They were just like, this isn't for us. Yeah. So I was like, great. So I had, done due diligence. I, 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 I did whatever I could to be a nice, good traditional author and it didn't work out for me. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, how bad is self-publishing looking right about now? Yeah. Now, mind you, there's a lot of things between self-publishing, differences between self-publishing and traditional publishing. And I think the main thing, of course, is the money. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go with a traditional publisher, they will more than likely give you an advance up front. Mm-hmm. But mind you, you don't like, it's not like you get that advance and then royalties. You get that advance and then if your book sells, the royalties kind of pay back the advance you already got. Yes, so you're waiting and waiting. So and you're, waiting. you get that chunk of money and yes. then you're just kind of waiting to get the money that your book will make or not make depending on how much marketing and how much you know investment they put in the book. Mm-hmm. And so you... Financially, you become at the you're at the mercy of the traditional publishing house. Yeah. Um. And then, of course, you have to realize that, like, let's say if they pick you up, then you might have to go through the editing process all over again because you mm-hmm. need to do write a book that they like. Exactly. And you just like when you're an actor or when you're a writer, a screenwriter, and you meet producers, and they're mm-hmm. like, "We want this, this, this changed." The same thing happens when you're an and author. And you're just like, no, my baby. Yeah, you're like, but I already spent so much money so to much, make it sound yeah, this money way. To not just like time and emotion, but like the money you paid Caroline. Yeah, and Amy. And, and it Amy, was just like, yeah. okay. Um, so you also lose creative control. And I'm a huge type A control freak. Oh, There's yeah. no way that I was going to lose my, my creative control. Oh, darling, I relate to this so, so hard. Well. So I was like, okay, I'm going to self-publish. Great. Let me just add another, you know, skill to learn. So go online and there are just, you know, after reading weeks of reading the pros and cons of self-publishing, I decided to do it. And that being said, now I had a great story, but it's one thing to have a great story. It has to also look professional. So now I had to hire an interior designer for the book. Mm -hmm. Now they pretty much do the entire layout of the book. I went on Upwork, upwork upwork.com. You know, it's kind of like, like a, a more professional Craigslist, I guess. Okay. Uh, you know, so you you, um, you look, put what you're looking for and you just get a bunch of people who, you know, fit that profile and who do this um, uh, independent contracted work. I found uh, a guy on there and he did the interior designing for the book. It's so interesting because interior design of a book is something I've literally never thought about until this very second yeah. when you started talking about it. And I'm just like, oh, I guess oh, yeah. you do it's need It's like so you have to like... see what the font is going to be like. Mm-hmm. You have to see like, you know, with the spacing and like each type of fiction, like, depending on the size of the book, the spacing is different. And mm-hmm. then, you know, like some books that like my like my book has like a little like a cross as like an icon on every page. Yeah. You know, that's something that the interior designer yeah, The little un- underline put. of the chapter number. And some exactly. people, if, if something fl- flips to a flashback or um, someone's point of a different person's point of view it's italicized or something yeah totally different yeah so you know I, I had my the interior designer do that and then simultaneously i was working with an exterior designer who is the graphic artist who does the jacket of the book 
So that's another person that I have to find. So I went, uh, I heard about something called uh, 99 Designs. This was actually really fun. He told me about this website and I was like, this is really, really cool. Yeah, 99designs.com. And it's for artwork, it's a giant hub for graphic artists. And you you can be doing like the label of a coffee can mm-hmm. or you can do like a lookbook for, you know, for acting, for a, a movie you're writing. Or in my case, uh, I needed the cover for a book. The thing is that they have different tiers of clients. So if you want to pay the most money, you get the most exposure to the artist. You get the most highly qualified artists who have worked the longest because they can justify, you know, charging higher rates. So you're supposed to be getting um, a higher caliber of artist if you go for like the platinum package, Mm -hmm. which at this point I had been spending so much money. It was like, I don't, I can't do the platinum package. (laughs) It's not going to happen. And so I did like the bronze, you know, not as many people will want to bid for your project because 99designs kind of works like an auction. They are in competition with each other for the prize of your business. Yeah. So you get a bunch of options of what your cover could look like and then you pick your favorite one and then work with that artist solely to like tweak. Yeah. You put your, your project up there and then you get a pool of artists who submit for it. And then you can slowly whittle down the artists that you like to the point where you're finally working with like three artists. And so of the three artists, eventually one wins and they're all pretty much submitting their designs to get the money that you're paying to use the service. Yes. D was the girl that, that ended up winning my heart over. It was really hard, but D ended up winning me over and so then afterwards, my contract was just with D. And so she was working back and forth to get me the exact design that I wanted and the color scheme and everything. And she was so amazing. And she's like, she's in Greece. Like she's. Oh, damn. Yeah. She lives in Athens. That's how like widespread this whole, you know, 99 designs is. Mm-hmm. And so we were just going back and forth and, and she was very prompt with getting me all the stuff for the artwork. And I, she actually is the one who designed the movie poster to Where Monster Hides, which is... Oh, I didn't you know, know that. You yeah. just used her again? Yeah, I just oh, used the cool. girl who, who designed the book cover for The After Living. Cool. There, we did run into a stag, though, the, the main font, the cover font. We didn't have the permission to use that font. And this was after everything was oh, already God. done. It was Shooting like, oh, face. was that my oversight? Was it her oversight? Like, it doesn't even fucking matter at this point. Yeah. It's like, the book is done. I need to get this done. So I tracked down the creator of the font and I literally sent him a message I said hey I'm doing a book I want to use your font in the book this is going to be what it's all about do I have your permission and he goes oh yeah just like you know give me recognition somewhere and so that's why like if you open up the cover of the book it says like the after living font you know that's amazing from so and so because it was well, like cool they were cool about because they could have totally been like oh no if you want it so bad you can like write oh me a check. yeah <laughs> totally they yeah. totally could have done that um, so he was really cool about it. So I was like, oh, thank God. And I, I had a lot of trouble with the interior designing of the book because you have to realize like if you're putting your book online and we're kind of getting into the whole Amazon space, if you're putting your book online, there's the Kindle, which is a certain file format. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to get it on, you know, let's say, um, an iPad, whatever, there's another file format. Oh, uh, what is it? Uh, Nook. Auto, Nook. Nook. Yes. There's yeah. a Kindle and a Nook. Yes. Yeah. So like the Nook is like a .epub file and the Kindle is a .mobi file. And then if you're doing paperback and hardback, it's a .pdf. And they all have different ISBN numbers. Mm-hmm. So that takes us, you know, to the ISBN, ISBN number stuff. ISBN is I, what I gather is sort of like a social security. Like you have it you is. as a person it's, has a social security number. Yeah. It stands for International Standard Book Number. 
And so every book has an ISBN number because that's just how it's cataloged in, you know, stores and libraries, you know, wherever. And so I think Boker.com, B-O-W-K-E-R, they're the only ones who sell them. You but know, you have to buy an, a, a number of them. Yes. Yeah. Like you need one for the .mobi file, mm. one for the .epub, and then you need one for the hardback, and then you need one for the, for the paperback. So it's like that's already four different ISBN numbers that you need for one book. Yeah. So that's where that all comes into play. So, you, again, I had to buy ISBN numbers, another you know expense that I had to, had to yeah. put in there. And so I had to make sure that, like, each ISBN number corresponded with the right file format. And also, like, when I was going through, I mean, I had to read my book so many times once the interior design was done because it's like, great, the designer did his job, but at the end, it's the onus is on me to make sure that there are no other errors. Oh, yeah. So I was reading my book over and over again. And mind you, I wasn't just reading one copy. I was reading, you know, the Kindle copy, the Nook mm -hmm. copy the paperback copy just to make sure because they were all different file formats. And you were probably just so sick of it. Pulling my hair <laughs> like, out. Just like, Even I don't to the point where again. the book was released and then I had to redo it again because mm. I saw a major error that like I didn't catch, uh -huh. you know, like quality that, that, and that's the thing with self-publishing quality control is all under you. Oh yeah. Like you can't blame anybody else for not doing it right. Mm -hmm. So finally I had my interior stuff done. I had my exterior stuff done. It was copy edited. I was ready to go. So now it's like, what platform am I going to have? on i mean that everybody uses amazon so yeah. it's a no-brainer you know kindles on amazon it's a mm -hmm. no-brainer to do it on there at the time there was create space mm -hmm. and there was amazon um books whatever and then there was also ingram sparks mm -hmm. so these are three different outlets to get the book out amazon owned create space mm -hmm. but they operated as completely separate entities at the time the photoshop file for the book cover on amazon is different than the photoshop file that i need for the book cover for a create space oh god that's and awful i got my paperbacks through create space because I could get an author discount, but I couldn't at the time get an author discount on Amazon. I could only buy it full retail. Okay. So I was like, okay, so clearly my my paperbacks are coming from CreateSpace, and clearly all my eBooks are going to be on Amazon, which is fine. Now Ingram Sparks um, specializes more in hardback books, mm -hmm. so I wasn't ready to do hardback yet. So I didn't really work with them. But also Ingram Sparks is better if you're selling internationally. Mm -hmm. And create space is better if you're selling domestically. Okay. So there are all these things that kind of came into play with who I wanted to choose. Yeah. So I ended up doing create space um, and then Amazon separately. And then at some point, Amazon started giving out. I've, now they do author copies. So I think you can just go to Amazon for everything. I'm not sure. Again, all this information that I'm giving you is like 2016 information. So things yeah. have clearly changed since then. So again, do all your research because 2016 is very different from 2019. Yeah. And also I ended up launching my book before I realized it. I thought that I could I could set the date ahead of time to launch my book, but the second I submitted it, it went online. <laughs> so I actually was not the first person to get a copy of my book. Oh like, my God. I was just like mortified. I couldn't take it back. And I was like, oh my God. That's crazy that they don't let you sort of like, I guess you can take it back yeah, if it's available. It's available. Yeah, you could you could launch the ebook, but mm -hmm. the paperback like went out the second you put, you know, upload. Jeez. So I was like, oh my God, all that stuff got finally worked out. The book became available. And of course people were starting to, you know, get the book before I was, I was like, oh, well, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Tell me how it is. Send me a picture of it. I've, I've, I'm sure I skipped over a lot of things, but that's pretty much the process that took me from getting the idea 
and then all the hoops that I had to jump mm-hmm. to get the book to where it needed to be to be out. And even now, like I do want to do um, a hardcover. I, I desperately would love to do a hardcover, yeah. but I want to wait until the second book comes out because I want them to look consistent, like mm-hmm. the style to look consistent. Yeah, because I might change that up. Um, so that's why I've been holding off on uh, on that. But again, talking about the second book, the second book, God willing. I'll be working with Caroline again very soon mm. if she'll have me. Yeah. Um, because I would like to get it out in 2020. Okay. So that's, that's but I mean, a, now you know the timeline and now you know, know like what, well, the timeline in terms of like what happens next and then next and then next. You, the second time will be a breeze compared to the first time. And it, yeah, it also cut out a lot of, a lot of stuff because I won't have to, like I'll know what to research. You won't have to deal with Marge and her xenophobia. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that Facebook is probably scary. Yeah, that Facebook is probably woo. Um, but do you have any questions? I'm super, super interested in the editing process. How much did the book change during Caroline's edit? Were there any like changes that were bigger than you expected? to be i remember there was a a character that i just was just completely useless and i had to remove Ooh, tell us about this character um he was italian oh man Uh, (laughs) yeah you just you love it don't you his name is jude but that's very close to judas Mm -hmm. so it's probably a good thing that i did not keep it in there but um that character everyone would have been like it's this is judas Judas." totally it's like completely i figured it out there's no tact at all it's him and um again like the first three the first three chapters got rid of, um, mm-hmm. which was a huge, you know, chase with a werewolf and, I, and all that stuff. I remember this. Specific, I remember the day you texted me and we're just like, I'm getting rid of this first scene. And I was like, wait, wait, that's like the one that's, <laughs> that's been there since the beginning. <laughs> exactly. What about Amy? Like, cause you know, a copy editor is there to proofread and make sure everything is grammatically correct. But you know, there are certain choices that you make that sort of break purposely break those rules. Oh yeah. yeah. So was there any sort of back and forth between her? Like, was was she like, Oh, I, this isn't worded correctly. And you're like, Oh no, I meant for this to the heart. Um, the capitalizing, because okay. there are a lot of words that become proper words in, in, in the afterliving, mm-hmm. um, like uh, baptism is a proper word. Okay. You know, so like so sa- the sacraments are proper words. So it was a lot of capitalizing things and making them proper nouns when, you know, they didn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big thing. And, and do they like, do editors like fight you hard? Like if, if an editor is say, say Caroline was like, Hey, you really need to do this, but you're, you're just like, Oh, I'm, I I'm so against that like that like would she sort of like battle you with some stuff no she it's she she's the type that she would say um you know we'll just make sure it's consistent throughout great like yeah because at, at the end and it, that's that's also the thing at the end of the day when she did her third pass because the third pass was very light like there wasn't any like giant red marks on on the physical copies um you and, sent her physical copies yeah well because that's the best way to read it and to catch these things it's just like like when you I read guess it's true. when yeah. you're looking at a screen like it's hard to catch stuff exactly yeah. and so you know she would just say these are my suggestions but it works as it is and yeah. so that was like kind of the okay, hardest so thing at the end she's cool yeah and I do actually have some questions that came in uh from the social media posting that we did from uh, Josh, where did the idea come from? Which I kind of um, uh, answered. Uh, what order did I write it in? Which I did the Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. So I did the the beats first, mm-hmm. and then filled in the middle. And then uh, how long did it take to research? 
Now, the research part, that was a lot because the creatures in the book are not just like vampires, werewolves, witches. They all represent religions that were coming up in the time of Christ. Mm -hmm. I took a liking to the Gnostics. And so the Gnostics are represented by the the werewolves, lycanes, as Mm -hmm. they're called uh, in the book. And of course, the Christians are represented by the vampires, which are called disciples in the book. And then the witches are represented uh, are representative of the pagans, which are called conduits in the book for you know reasons that are explained later. Um, but there was a point where I was having a lot of trouble because it was just kind of like a giant knot of yarn that I couldn't untangle. Mm-hmm. And you know, it got to the point where I just kept tightening the knot, and it was like, no, wait, I have to stop. I have to stop adding to the story, and I have to realize what are the rules of this world because mm-hmm. I was writing, um, and it's something that that you know, Blake calls double magic, but I was writing rules that were being broken by the characters and it was all okay. And that was like, no, this is not holding up to the integrity of the story. Yeah. So I had to stop. And, um, I remember it was a Christmas. I was in Houston visiting my family and I was at a Starbucks and I was just like, I need to find out what are the rules of this world? What is the research that's going into the backstories and how they all interact with each other? And so that was a huge important part for me because it completely changed the way the story came out. Yeah, because it gives you more structure. Exactly. And like once I knew the rules, I knew like, okay, this character is breaking the rules. So this is bullshit. Like this would never fly Mm -hmm. in the afterliving. And this character, if this, if they have this limitation, then their only other option is to do this. And so it kind of helped make the characters act a lot, I guess, more, um, more truthfully. So that was a huge part of uh, the writing process. So there's another question from Mike. Oh, how do you find the choices for each character and how do you keep track? I don't know about you when you write like scripts, but mm. when the characters are like real in your head, like, you don't really have to make a decision for them. Yeah. Like the characters make the decision. Yeah. It's- I once had a really excellent acting teacher who would always say, you know the answers already, but you just don't know the questions. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Like whenever, and like when the characters are real enough, you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, he would not, like he would never yeah. speak to this person this way or he wouldn't even speak to this person kind of yeah. thing. Um, so that that really helps. Like I, I really enjoy that when the story gets very real for me, I literally just put the characters in a setting or a situation and their personalities do the rest. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of like, you literally just are a, a conduit <laughs> for mm-hmm. whatever they're thinking or saying, which I found is good. Um, uh, another question was, uh, what writing process did you pick up along the way that made the process easier over time? None. <laughs> <laughs> it I, is, was, I was perfect from the get go. No, it has not gotten easier over time. It's actually getting harder because I really mm. like the first book and writing the second book is kind of like, oh. Well, of course, because like you you have like these expectations. Yeah. Like, on your, like, oh, like, on I did your own. it so easily the first time. It's like writing uh, my movie. Of course, like it, it, it seems like, oh, it happens so easily, but it's because it happened over the span of eight years. Yeah. And so now when you try to start something new, you're just like, oh, why isn't it coming as easily? And you're just like, oh, wait, no, that took eight years yeah i thought this book would come out fast the second one would come out faster than the first and Mm. it's not and Mm. i'm like so not having it right now how far into it are you i'm 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 halfway okay are you wait is it all like outlines and everything and no that's the thing for the second book i didn't outline Mm -hmm. i know how it's going to end but i didn't do because i read uh stephen king's on writing and you know it was the argument of should you plot your book or should you not Mm -hmm. and his whole argument was like well no you shouldn't plot it because you kind of put yourself in a box once you do that and Mm -hmm. when you get new inspiration you can't go with it because you're already 
wrote how it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. It's also <laughs> a little bit lazier for me to do. I'll do that. And I'm not, I don't think I'm a huge fan of it, but mm-hmm. this book structure is very different. Like the second book is very different okay. in the sense that the first book takes place over a span of seven days. Yeah. And to get to the end that I need to get to for this next book, it has to span several months. Yeah, there has and there's and like literally the first book is chronologically day by day what happens to the character. Mm-hmm. There's no way I can do that and span it over several months. So no. that's why like I've reached the point where the first part is done. There's a lot of exposition. The world gets a lot deeper in the second book. Mm-hmm. And so the first part kind of is a little recap of what happened, where the character was left off at the end of the book. And then he's introduced to a whole new set of rules in the world. And then the second part is, you know, he's already familiar with it. So he stops asking questions and he takes some more of an active role, you know, in the after living versus just learning, learning, learning. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the book is different. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I find that with every, every project's different when you're writing. It's like the pro- writing process is one way for one thing and completely different for another. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, to wrap up this segment, you have to have a great story that you just, you know, that you just cannot keep to yourself and you have to do a lot of research into how to do it. And the answers are on the internet. No one can tell you how to do it. Believe me, I even met people who wrote books already and Mm -hmm. the answers I found on the internet were much more reliable. And I would definitely encourage anybody who has ever said, I will never write a book know that that's what I said before I started writing mine. It's been doing well. It has five stars on Amazon, and I hope to continue that streak. Yeah, keep giving it five stars, Yeah, and if you guys have read the book and you haven't written your review, uh, come on, show me some love. (laughs) Write the review. Hopefully it's an honest... What the hell? Come on. It's an honest five stars, hopefully. Tune in for the next episode where we're just going to start talking about plots. We're going to dive deeper, guys. Yeah, we're going to dive deeper into the afterliving. So if you haven't, go to um, Amazon or Audible and get the afterliving book one of his blood and silver series read the by, book real quick read the book real quick real, real quick you know if it's a quick uh, 11 hours in the car audible you're done oh yeah uh, written by me fernando rivera and we'll be back for the next episode with uh matt Steele. the next uh episodes will be full of spoilers just letting you know bye guys bye guys